Welcome to the Partnership Economy. This podcast explores the power of partnerships through candid conversations with industry leaders. Join our hosts, Dave Yavano, CEO, and Todd Crawford, co-founder of Impact.com, as they unpack the future of partnerships as a lever for scale and an opportunity to put the consumer first. Welcome back to the Partnership Economy podcast. This is your host, Dave Yavano, and I'm delighted to announce this week's guest, Becca Barkey. Becca started her career in a traditional media agency where she discovered her curiosity for brand partnerships. This inspired her to work in talent management, and today she's CEO and founder of her own company, Illuminate Social. Illuminate Social is a growing talent management and brand strategy firm, and it's clear that Becca knows the influencer industry inside and out. Becca is passionate about representing and advocating for content creators. She knows the value of successful brand partnerships and stays up to date with all the latest influencer trends. Above all else, she believes in leading with empathy and being a role model for other aspiring female leaders. In today's episode, we discuss the behind the scenes of how influencer partnerships really work, the best way to form these partnerships, both from a brand point of view and a creator point of view, and actionable insights on the best platforms and content formats to utilize. We also introduce our very first lightning round segment, so be sure to stay tuned until the end. Welcome back to the Partnership Economy. I'm excited to welcome this week's guest, Becca Barkey. Becca is the CEO and founder of Illuminate Social. It's a talent management and brand strategy firm, and she is an expert on all things influencer marketing. Welcome to the show, Becca. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. All right. First and foremost, you've had a very impressive and dynamic career path that's led you to be CEO of your own company, Illuminate Social. Would love to start with you just sharing a little bit about your journey and, and how you got here. So I started a little bit more on the creative side of things as a stylist. And while booking models for our photo shoots, I came across a company called IMG, one of the biggest modeling firms in the world, and really got that traditional agent experience by starting to work at IMG under their wall group department, where we represented hairstylists, makeup artists, and clothing stylists, and got that very, very traditional training and was really, really amazing experience. What I loved the most was during red carpet season, we would actually book brand partnerships for our talent. So if my stylist was on Jimmy Fallon, who was hosting the Golden Globes, we would get a Tiffany Watch partnership. And that was really, for me, what got me so interested in this brand partnership world. So I literally went down, Googled jobs and brand partnerships and came across the partnership economy and started working at a big influencer management firm called Socialite, where I was a talent manager and grew to be the vice president of their talent department before I left. And for those who don't know, could you talk a little bit more about Illuminate Social, specifically what your firm provides? So we are first and foremost an influencer management firm, and we handle all brand negotiations for on behalf of our influencer. We represent them exclusively. So we're handling their 360 careers, starting with brand partnerships, negotiating the contracts, executing those programs, being the point of contact for the brand on behalf of the influencer to really help streamline, make everything very professional. And on the flip side, we also do strategy for brands. So we'll work with them either on a retainer basis or, you know, one-off casting opportunities where they want to work with influencers that are the right, you know, person for their program. So in this sense, you know, we represent around 80 exclusive content creators, but then we have our own tried and true network of about 500 creators that we say, you know, A, they're professional, B, they do great work, they might convert, they've got great content. So that is, you know, really where we're pooling from a larger group of influencers to find the right person for that program. That's a, a super interesting model. I can see how your your prior career kind of like really kind of teed it up for you to create a business like this. I actually haven't spoken with anyone before you about, <laughs> you know, you mentioned exclusively representing 80 creators. I mean, like, like right away, I think of yep. that show Entourage. I mean, are you essentially Ari Gold here <laughs> representing some top talent? Exactly. So, you know, watching Entourage, I can firsthand experience say that that <laughs> is what it's like. Um, it's based on the company WME. I worked at their com- sister company, IMG. So it is exactly 
that's the experience. And yes, you know, I would say the thing, what makes us different is we're not agents. We're really managers. So we, we think about everything about their career. It's not just something that makes us a dollar, but something that is really going to further the strategy of their career, how to make them even bigger, whether it's product lines, you know, a TV show, a book deal, et cetera. And how can we really diversify their streams of revenue? So are you handling all of those aspects of what a creator might get into within your firm? Or do you partner with other firms for some of those things? So we handle everything and we might, you know, some of our talent might get to the level where they do need an agent. So they could be at a larger agency like WME or CAA, but still represented as we are their manager. So yeah, that's where we might be partnering with others. We also work on product lines in-house. So yeah, we just try to offer a really like diverse variety for our roster because we know that they're multifaceted talent. Okay. You just sucked us into this uh, Hollywood (laughs) imagery here. So I think, you know, the listeners got to be dying to know, you know, the types of brands, the types of creators that you're working with. Can you just unpack that a little bit more? So when I first started in my career, it was definitely more about the fashion bloggers. That was really the big term was blogger, blogger, blogger. And, you know, as this career or this industry started blooming, we started calling them influencers. And, you know, I think that started getting a really interesting world of people. It was still primarily fashion focused and this very luxury lifestyle, very aspirational. We started getting those travel influencers. And, you know, now what I kind of saw happening with, especially in 2020 with TikTok becoming huge and everyday people becoming influencers, we really tried to shift the word to content creators. And that's where we think the people we represent specifically are very relatable versus aspirational. So they may have 10% aspirational quality, but 90% relatable. So it should feel like you're getting tips from your best friend, but you kind of are a little jealous of their life. So you want to emulate it. (laughs) And I would say those are the kinds of creators we like to represent. They're kind, they're professional. They still need us for a little bit of organization, but you know, they really have that relatable lifestyle where it really it's transitioned to the kinds of brands we work with. So yeah, it's not as sexy of the days where we worked with Audi and Armani Beauty and all of these big luxurious brands. But right now we're working with brands that have huge, massive budgets and they're shifting from you know some of their traditional advertising dollars to now influencer marketing. First of all, I love that description. Uh, I heard it first from you previously. I hadn't heard it anywhere else, but you know, this idea of aspirational versus relatable, I think that's super helpful for people who are trying to work with creators to think of it that way, right? Mm-hmm. And just to um, maybe repeat what you said to make sure that myself and the audience got it right. When you talk about an aspirational sort of creator, that's that's almost like Hollywood status, right? That's somebody that's just exactly. like so, so far up there. That's not your typical lifestyle and having them behind your brand. You know, maybe it's an awareness play, you know, or, or just fits with that brand uniquely. And then that relatable is like your everyday person who maybe is a subject matter expert or just passionate about it. There's just something that other people can easily relate to. And it's just more about the content, I guess, that they're creating and less about the image of that person. Is that, is that the right way to think of it? Exactly. I mean, I even think back in the day when you'd see like, you know, Britney Spears for what was it? She either had Pepsi or Coca-Cola, but it was caught. She was drinking something else. And it's, you know, when people are like, oh, Britney Spears doesn't really drink that. When you have these relatable content creators, you can actually feel like, yes, they're promoting this product and I know they probably use it. So I think that that's where we see a big difference. I mean, don't get me wrong, the Armanis and the Audis of the world still want that luxury partner because they want to be an aspirational brand. But I would say that most of the brands spending in the space should be working with people that really do make up what consumers look like in America. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's super helpful to think of it that way. So what would you say is the mix of creators that you're working with if you had to guess inside uh, Illuminate Social? So I would say, you know, 10 to 15%, we've got that aspirational vibe where it feels like, you know, they're traveling to Europe, they've got, they were wearing a little bit of more high end brands, they're still using some of our more relatable stuff, but it's much more of that, like, they've got a little bit of that aspirational content creation, that's very professional, high quality. And then I would say about, you know, 75% to 90% are these very relatable content creators that live in Utah, Idaho, in the in middle America, have big families and, you know, go through the normal struggles of kind of an everyday person. 
And I think that that's what their followers love is they follow them and they're like, oh, I really like, I feel her. I get her. She is me. And then I want to buy everything she promotes. <laughs> uh huh. And are most of your creators women just out of curiosity? Definitely. We are primarily women and majority mothers is our focus. Very good. And would you say it's their full-time job being a creator? Are they like fully dedicated? It's like their life is, is online and, and shared with their audience? I would say 95% of our roster, this is their full-time income, their full-time job. We love to say, you know, we're a team of women and we represent a lot of women who are the main breadwinners for their family. And that's such a lovely thing. We feel very proud and accomplished to be able to say. And then we've got a few influencers who are also real estate agents or doctors and have more of those expert kind of level positions that kind of give their influence validity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've spoken with a number of creators myself, and I'm just really fascinated on like, you know, and maybe at some point we can um, together, you know, get, you get someone on uh, the podcast here and talk about like how that changes your life. That's a big decision to put your entire life out there to be judged. You know, I think of that movie, what's the name of that movie? The Circle or something like that? Tom mm -hmm. Hanks, I actually read the book before yep. the movie came out. But it was this world where you have, like everything is just fully transparent out there. Everybody knows everything about you and you're constantly rated on things. It's a little scary to kind of think about it, but any insight on you know, what that's like for a creator or like the, 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 the day in the life of, you know, being a full-time creator as a job, that's whole breadwinner of the family. I mean, I think that what she said is as a job, I think that's what some creators struggle with is treating it like a job and treating it like their whole life. Those who treat it like a job, I see have a little bit better mental health and well-being because they're like, okay, these are my hours I'm on. I know I need to post this content. I know that I need to show my whole lifestyle. I need to show what I made for breakfast to when I'm putting my kid to bed. But can I do that with some boundaries and making it kind of my nine to five in a sense? Others who get so overwhelmed because they're like, we have to show everything all the time, always on. I do see those kinds of creators struggle a bit more because there is that pressure and feeling like you're never turning off. So I will say, if I was a content creator, I would definitely create those boundaries because otherwise you're just nonstop working and you don't have that separation. We also see a lot of content creators who bring their husbands or their partners into their business. And in that sense, you know, they might leave their full-time job because this is thriving enough and this is really a big business. And how do you create those boundaries? I mean, working with a partner, I can't even imagine, and you live together and you have children. How do you really treat this like a job and have that on time and that off time? It's the only way to survive. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's got to be hard because the audience is there for them and their and their lifestyle. Um, the, the, the more successful ones, anyway, they have large followings. They're not there to be sold a product every day, right? They're there for the stream of life. And then products are kind of woven in between. Exactly. Right? And that's how they're monetizing, essentially. They're doing it in a very authentic way. So I think to really be successful, you ultimately have to commit you know, your life to you know, being out there. And so yeah, you know, but it does seem like you know, people are um, really enjoying it and making a, a, a really nice career for themselves doing it. It's not for everybody, probably, but it's great to see the success there. It's really like a, a reality show for each influencer. You know, they, they're going through their whole day, they're showing it. And when I log on, I know which influencers I want to go look at and be like, oh, I wonder what their kid did today. Or, you know, I'm going through and really almost consuming it as a show. And then I might go turn on a Real Housewives episode and just consume it in a whole different medium. We could probably track this all back to that first MTV episode of The Real World, probably where, where it all came from. Very true. <laughs> How about on the brand side for your business? So like, who are the types of brands that you work with? So, you know, because we work with very relatable content creators, we work with, you know, the big the brands that everybody knows, you know, Lowe's, Walmart, Amazon is another big one. And then a lot of skincare brands, Tula, Ritual Vitamins, you know, to name a few. We've got a few luxury brands as well that we work with, but I would say much more the kind of everyday brands that you're shopping on a more daily basis. And so for both brands and creators, what does the process look like for reaching out to create a partnership in your world? That's a great question. There's, you know, two different ways that we might start working with a brand. One is they reach out to our influencer first, which is probably the most common, I would say, to begin with. And because they're exclusive with us, 
they introduce us on that email thread and we start having negotiation discussions. I always tell our influencers, those opportunities are going to be probably your best budgets because this brand has sought you out. They want to work with you and we're going to figure out how we're going to make that work. Secondly, you know, as an agency, we have a lot of brands we work with that are either coming to us to cast a program or we work with on a retainer basis, or additionally, they're like, we love working with you. You make this so easy. Do you have more suggestions? And, you know, those opportunities are really, really great for us because we can show obviously our influencers, Hey, look at these opportunities we're bringing you because the brands love us. They love working with our influencers and introduce a whole new kind of brand to them that they might not have been aware of. And also building, you know, potentially larger opportunities around that if they haven't seen this influencer before. And now they're like, wow, they really converted for me. Let's keep this going. And can you give us a sense of the types of projects, like what's involved there? Like, are they doing deep reviews on products? Or are they just creating specialized content that the brand might license, for example, to use for other purposes? Like, just give us a sense of w- what that work is typically. Is it just a simple post and then they move on to the next, you know, uh, campaign, essentially? I would say a significant portion are a lot of one-off situations. So they want to work with this influencer for one specific project that typically has a few deliverables. I would say on average, we see an Instagram story, you know, with three to five frames, including a link click and an Instagram post, whether that's a real or a static photo, sometimes maybe also TikTok, depending on where their bigger audience is. And, you know, that's really a common thing. We might see they want a few assets for the brand to use as well, or they might want some additional usage, whether that's whitelisting or dark posting, which is the other kind of medium of it. And I would say that's going to be our most common. People are working on five to 10 projects a month. Additionally, you know, there's these more long-term partnerships where they see someone, they've liked working with them. Typically, you're not going to see a long-term partnership if they haven't worked with the talent before. And we're getting several posts over a few months. And that's really to What I think is the best because, you know, retail studies show that consumers need to see something three to five times before they're going to make a purchase. So it really makes sense, especially for a brand awareness play that you continuously hit that same audience. I think those are some of the most successful partnerships. I see just our influencers are really excited about them as well because they know, okay, this is a great contract. I really want to be like, show this brand some good work. I would say those are the the majority of the types of projects. It's fun when we get something that's a little outside of the box, whether you know we have an influencer who's asked to be a consultant for a brand on some new product assortment or potentially you know on a diversity committee for that brand and how can they do better on their own social channels, speaking on panels. When we get to see these kind of more fun ones, that's definitely kind of puts us on alert. We're like, oh, what is this one? It's a little bit different. Yeah, those longer term relationships really strike me as as more of that that deeper partnership, right? Where there's just strong fit between the brand, the creator, and the creator's audience. You know, I would imagine that it's a longer lasting relationship because they're, you know, the the feeling of like fit, like just, you know, they're just genuinely interested in the product, and their audience can tell, and it you know it, it performs well as a result as well, just in terms of driving sales. And then just more tactically, like what's what would you say is the mix? If you had to guess of like more performance-based contracts with creators versus a fixed fee, for example. So I don't think we do too many performance-based campaigns. And this is for a few reasons. I think that one, there's not enough of kind of a kickback for our influencer where they're like, okay, but I could do a brand partnership and get paid this flat fee and know, you know, I'm getting actually compensated for my work. What we will usually agree to is a mix of both performance-based plus they're getting paid a flat fee. So maybe we'll consider a discounted rate because they're going to get this commission or affiliate sales, you know, on what they're working on. And I think in that sense, we really like those partnerships and they're great. And when we see something performance-based, we kind of shrivel up a bit. I'm not going to lie. And that's just because we just know there's no way an influencer is going to get compensated for the the work they're putting in, the assistance they pay, the photographers they pay, if they got their hair and makeup done that day. When you think about it, influencers are your own brand photo shoot, social photo shoot. You know, you have to pay for all of these things in order to get the good content. And, you know, even when we have our very relatable content creators who might show up with no makeup on an ad or something like that, there are still a lot, there's a business behind this. So 
you know, finding a blend between the two is really where we find that sweet spot. Yeah, I've talked with creators in the past, and it seems like a lot of them start with a performance relationship with the brand, right? They'll, they'll, they're passionate about a certain product or their audience is asking them to you know, do some research for them. And they'll just go and proactively grab some affiliate links, you know, add them to their description. And it builds over time. I think brands recognize that. They, it, it's almost like a lead for the brand. Once they start to see, you know, growth and referrals that might come from a creator like that, and that that leads to like a, a deeper engagement. It could be, you know, kind of a more meaningful, um, you know, performance relationship. But then, you know, get more, you know, seasonal like like brand based deals mm-hmm. that 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 will turn off and on. But it's it's interesting. Like I think, I think as you get to a certain level of creator, like you know, you're used to like a, a certain amount of income and and doing doing a, a lot of work, a lot of brands. Maybe you're a little bit more selective, like you don't need to rely on more of the performance you know, sort of things. So, but, you know, I think there's a big critical mass of maybe earlier stage creators and influencers who are taking a more performance based approach. But I think the ones that do it authentically, it, I've seen it tend to lead to, you know, more meaningful relationships with brands that just keep keeps growing and you know, can become a lifestyle. Absolutely. I think that especially growing, like you mentioned, aspiring content creators who want to get to that level that this is full-time income, we do see, like we suggest, like this is a great way to start integrating this in your audience, you know, really training them how to make purchases by using these affiliate links. And then, you know, we also have others who that's their supplemental income. They have a certain amount of brand partnerships a year, but they know I also make this much from LTK every month. And, you know, I think that those are a lot of the platforms that we really make sure that all of our influencers are on right away, because we know if they're on that, they definitely know how to train their audience, how to shop, which is key. Platforms like impact.com as well. Yes, (laughs) especially impact. (laughs) Um, How about just some examples of some exciting partnerships that you're currently working on that could really help inspire some of our listeners to, to think outside the box? Yeah. So one of our talent managers, I'm going to give a shout out to (laughs) Jessie. She um, really has brought two really interesting partnerships to the fold for her talent. One being with Discovery Plus, which is, you know, a streaming platform. And I think this really came from, you know, the times in COVID when we were streaming and binging a lot more. And there's so many streaming platforms out there now. So how do you kind of get through the noise rather than just kind of promoting your platform? but actually promoting the shows and getting people excited about that. So two of our content creators are have their own podcast. They're big on TikTok and Instagram. And they're actually doing a rewatch with the show. So they'll do a recap after and kind of say, let's talk about this. Let's educate you a little bit more about this specific family or this instance or whatever is going on in the show. And let's talk about it. And I think that's really what you know, there's so many true crime podcasts people are obsessed with. So it's kind of riding on those coattails. But I think that's going to be really, really effective. And I'm excited to see how that all comes together. They're covering three really interesting docuseries that I think two of them are already available on Discovery Plus. I already binged one. It's great. So that one I think is just really fun because it's you participate also in it. It doesn't feel like you're necessarily purchasing a specific product, but you are. You're getting the streaming platform to watch the show and then kind of partake in this larger discussion. So you're saying after a show, there's like a deep dive with a podcaster or some other creator to just talk about the show more, just to like just get more buzz and awareness going? Exactly. So they're going to talk more about the show, about the plot, what's going on, what to look for next. So I think that that's, going to be really interesting. That's such a great idea because, you know, I, I equate that or draw an analogy to the world of advertising. Like if Discovery was to, to run an ad, say, hey, check out this show. Sure, that has some awareness and some effect on people. But, you know, we've been beating the drum talking about, hey, buying decisions are being made today based on what other people say about you, less about what you say about yourself. Right. And to, and to be in that flow of conversation about shows like just makes sense to have these podcasters just discussing the show is creating, you know, it's it's that's the checkpoint for for people, the modern consumer, the modern buyer. That's where they're they're kind of being inspired and making that purchase decision, if you will, that decision to engage with Discovery Plus. That that is what the way brands, I think, have to cut through today, like just advertising. We've just become so numb to it. But to hear a conversation from influential people diving into it, that really just changes your whole 
you know, thinking about, you know, what shows you're going to engage with. You're going to be a lot more motivated to go check out a, a Discovery Plus show if it has that level of engagement from a podcast relative to like an ad that you see on TV. Would, would you kind of agree with that concept? Absolutely. I think it really, it, it just aligns with that saying, show me, don't tell me. And I think that's what we're really doing here. We're not just showing you or telling you about like this brand and this is how we align with diversity or whatever that is. We're actually showing you and integrating it and you feel like this is authentic. That's great. Secondly, another partnership we're working on is with Marriott Bonvoy for promoting their hotels. People are traveling again, which is really exciting. So this is a long-term partnership, which really makes sense for a luxury category like travel because you really want that hitting the same audience a few times. People aren't going to see one post and say, oh yeah, I'm going to go book my trip now. They're going to see that this is who she chooses. This is her preferred company to travel with. All these different cool places. Oh, I might not be able to go to you know this one location, but I can go here. And now that hotel looks really cool. I want to book that through Marriott. And yeah, just really excited to see how that partnership came together because again, it really hits the KPIs of the category that they fall into. So when your team is engaging with a Marriott Bonvoy, they're they're saying, look, we we have a campaign. There's a, a strategy this year. We're trying to really appeal to these young, fun professionals. And so they're specifically looking for creators that will experience their locations essentially and and, and talk about it. Exactly. So they're kind of recruiting them into a program. Yep. And I would say this content creator is on the more aspirational side. She's much more fashion focused. And those are the kinds of creators they want to associate with because it is that aspirational vibe. That's how travel is. It's it should be accessible for everybody, but at the same time, it's you want to experience this because it's something exciting. And, you know, I think with the with the Discovery Plus one, it's accessible to everybody as long as you get the streaming platform. So it is much more of our relatable, comedic content creators that you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm watching this show with my best friend. And I, I think it's interesting how they really, we have the right creators for those two programs. It wouldn't, you couldn't flip them if you wanted to. <laughs> Illuminate Social has culminated a strong roster of creators, and it's fascinating to hear how Becca thinks about her talent and the categorization of aspirational versus relatable types of creators. These categories can really help brands understand who's the best fit for their products and goals. Becca dove into the ins and outs of how to actually create a partnership between a brand and a creator. It was interesting to hear that performance-based contracts are helpful for starting and building relationships with creators which can lead to highly desired fixed fee campaigns as well. I also encourage you to think outside the box and take inspiration from the innovative partnerships that Becca mentions, like Discovery Plus collaborating with creators to recap their newest shows on their own podcast. Keep listening to hear about the latest social media trends and the implications of Instagram trying to become more like TikTok. We'll also dive into our first ever lightning round and a great discussion on female leadership. All right, before we head into our new lightning round segment, I'd like to ask, you know, all of our guests at this at this point, like just trends that you're noticing, right? In in partnerships specifically, and especially for you in the creator space, like what trends are you seeing out there? So the first thing I want to discuss is obviously just Instagram trying to act more like TikTok. So we're seeing, we really saw this conversation in the last few weeks, especially, <laughs> but all of this video content that we're being served now and it's funny because I just read an article this morning about how a TikTok creator feels like the TikTok platform makes brand partnerships really difficult. And I would agree with that because there's a reason why our brands specifically want to work more on Instagram. We see that as a higher percentage. So I'm always telling my creators, diversify, make sure you're on all the platforms. And you know, with TikTok, you go, you open up immediately, you're on your for you page. So the algorithm is awesome. You're going to see content you really want, but it's going to deprioritize hashtag ad content. Because if you haven't traditionally engaged in that on TikTok, you're not going to get it. And most people don't toggle over and look at their following. They're going to look at the for you page. And the thing I also notice as a consumer myself, but when I'm explaining a TikTok content creator, I don't know their name. I'm like, oh, that one guy who always does content like this. 
But when I'm on Instagram, I know them. I know their name. I know their children's name. I know their dog's name because I'm integrated in their life. I see their content every day in my face. So it's funny to me that Instagram would want to change that and become more like TikTok when ultimately it is going to kind of hurt the creator in a sense. Because now I'm getting content on my Instagram feed with people I have no idea who they are. And I'm, it's getting a little bit lost in this mix. And they're very different platforms. It does seem like the algorithms have, have taken over. Like I've just noticed this myself as, as a sample size of one, right? There's certain people that I follow on Instagram, like Kelly Slater is a pro server, mm-hmm. right? It's, I think it's fascinating where you get insight into somebody's life like that. But I noticed that if you, if you, if you rewatch or replay a video, especially you're taken out of and your You're going to get a new video from someone you don't follow. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden you start seeing videos that, I, I don't follow these people. So it's, it's, to your point, it's like a little bit more like TikTok. And it's almost like these platforms are kind of cutting off that relationship between, you know, the the, the person and the creator and, and becoming more dependent on the algorithm feed of you know, people right. that you don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing. Yeah, because I just think that it doesn't make sense for them to want to be like each other because we want them at very separate times. You know, I want TikTok when I have an hour on my couch to listen to videos and I want Instagram at completely other times where I might be waiting for somebody and I just want to, you know, discreetly look at something that I'm not going to listen to sound or I'm in the dentist office, you know, I'm waiting for something and, you know, to make the, the platform to be more based on video, it just kind of hurts a lot of the photo content that people want to see in those moments when they're not going to have sound on. So one thing I mean, I'm even saying I notice now when my influencers don't use auto generated captions, because most of the times I am looking at Instagram without sound on and I'm like, you have to turn those captions on because if they're like me, they're probably watching this without sound and or waiting, you know, somewhere and want to still take in this content. So while video really gets a message across really well. If you're doing a brand partnership, I do think that, you know, don't lose the the benefit of photos either, which still is there. From a, um, like a monetization standpoint where brands want to be, uh, what are those trends like? And, and, and put that in the context of creators, like the platform that they are preferring to work on in terms of like the best way for them to monetize the content that they're publishing. From what I'm seeing, people do make more money on Instagram. And that's simply because ads perform better there. It's really a wild, wild west on TikTok. You could put an ad out and the maturity date is so much longer. So the first 24 hours of a TikTok, you might be like, oh my gosh, this only has 300 views. And on Instagram, you're pretty much peaking within the first 24 hours of what it's going to be. And I think for brands who want that instant gratification... They don't have the patience to wait a month, two months, upwards of maybe three months. That's how long a video can kind of live on the For You page for TikTok. They're not going to want to wait three months to see, is did their message get across? So if you've got an instant sale, if you've got something that's you know going to need to happen in real time, Instagram just makes so much more sense than TikTok that we need to kind of wait for that maturity. It's just completely different. All right, let's move into our lightning round segment. You were actually answered one of the first questions I was going to ask you, which was, what do you think is the best platform for creators? And, and I think you just answered that with uh, with Instagram. So we'll, we'll take that. I'm biased. I think Instagram. Okay. <laughs> the other ones I was going to ask you, YouTube, TikTok. YouTube actually is different. You didn't, you didn't uh, touch on that really much. YouTube just seems like a, a very different platform. Like people are there for like information and they're like doing a lot of research, right? As opposed to entertainment more so on, on like the Instagram and TikTok platforms. But I have heard from creators, you know, there's SEO value. They, you know, they've, they're still monetizing content that's, that's been out there for years. That also helps the brand. Any quick point of view on, on YouTube by comparison to the others? Do you see it as different as I do? Absolutely. It's completely different. I would say if somebody wants to be in control of their monetization and not rely on brand partnerships, YouTube's the space because you can earn a lot on AdSense and all of those kinds of things on YouTube way more than you can on any of the other platforms. Or affiliate links. Like a lot of, a lot of creators on impact.com, you know, in the description, they're doing deep, like w- well-published product reviews 
with affiliate links in the description to to get a commission on those sales. Exactly, because it is it's a search engine. I think that was my favorite thing when we went to the YouTube offices and they're affiliated with Google. They're like, we're the only platform that's literally a search engine, and that definitely puts such a unique perspective on it. And why you know makeup creators do so well on there because people Google how do I do a cat eye, and there's a video you can't do that on Instagram. I actually had this as myself as a consumer, I was like, oh, I really want to do a cat eye. <laughs> and I looked at some of my favorite influencers that I know have great makeup, but I couldn't find a video that they had of how they do it. So there I go to YouTube. So when it comes to searching for things that are, you know, like that, YouTube makes a lot more sense. I see creators who are on YouTube, they make a lot more money without brand partnerships and they have their own merch lines because they have fans that are just so obsessed with them. It is a lot of work, though. You know, it's very different work than Instagram and TikTok. It is. Yeah. So as your practice gets bigger and you're repping, you know, more more creators, I mean, you know, like Lenovo, for example, on the Impact.com platform, working with a lot of, you know, I'm just blown away at these like high-end gaming laptops. There's no way that you are making a purchase decision about a gaming laptop without doing YouTube video after YouTube video of benchmark comparisons, unboxing video. Like there's just a lot of dramatics that go into the next greatest uh, version of a a laptop. And uh, like, where do you go for that research? You could be buying a tennis racket, anything you're buying. You're doing a lot. I think the average research now that that somebody's doing is 22 points of research before making purchases like that. Something beyond an impulse purchase, like a t-shirt or... or... Not me, I'm an impulse buyer. Okay. How about video or photo content? Which should creators be prioritizing? I hate to say it, but video. And it's just because that's what the platforms are prioritizing. So you have to keep up with that. Ah, okay. So if if it's a photo, you're lower in the algorithm ranking. I mean, you can see it if you go through your Instagram feed right now. I had this, I was going through it and I'm like, I have not seen a photo in at least a minute of scrolling. So it's video. Okay. How about influencers or creators? What term do you prefer? I really change them up a bit, but my I push for creators. I think it's a better word. I think that influencers get a bad rap. You see, you think of those pranksters like David Dobrik or Logan Paul. And when I go home to Wisconsin and tell people I represent influencers, it's like, oh, you work with them? And I'm like, no, I work with yeah. really great people. Yeah, it has like a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? Like nobody wants to feel like they're influencing somebody. Right. It <laughs> seems like people who want to be famous, you know, that's the connotation it gets a lot. But, you know, the people I work with are really content creators and they have influence. Yeah, they're, yeah, that's I, that's a great way to think about it. I think the the good ones are passionate about creating like good good content, having that connection with their audience, and don't feel like they're somehow influencing people or their job is to influence their people. Their job is to create amazing content that inspires people, not influence them so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one: aspirational versus relatable creators. When should brands work with each type? Yeah. So definitely think about the category. If you have luxury diamonds or, you know, it's a luxury product, you should probably be working with more aspirational content creators. If it's, you know, your everyday kind of thing, some cereal, like we work with a lot of cereal brands, anything like that, it it makes more sense to be with someone who is relatable because you really think like, yes, that person uses that product versus, you know, earlier when I talked about Britney Spears drinking whatever, you don't think she drinks that every day. (laughs) Okay. How about the number one tip for brands who want to work with creators? The number one tip is really do your research. So see which creators are, you know, already organically posting about you because they love you. Those are the kinds of people you should be working with. You know, don't get so caught up in the hype of there's this trending person now, or they just came off of this new reality show. They've got all these millions of followers. That might not equate to real influence. You need to look at what have they done in the past? You know, how does this convert? And make sure that they are going to hit those KPIs because sometimes it's a micro influencer with 20,000 followers who has a more loyal following than this hot young thing that just came off a reality show. (laughs) And if we were to flip that around, what's the number one tip for creators who want to work with brands? My number one tip there would be showing your face more. So 
there's so many content creators who want to either hide behind the camera or they're just so curated and can't get outside of that bubble. You know, they're like, here's my beautiful coffee and here's my perfect everything. No one lives a perfect life. We want to see and hear what you have to say. And I think that really builds that whole reality television around your life. And that's how you should think of it. I, I could see that in videos. You're right. I never really thought about it until you said that. Like there are videos that we, you know, you see the full and you realize the effect that that has on the viewer. Like you, you trust that person more because you see that, that they're a person, but you also have to look at it from the creator side. I would imagine, right. There, like that's a leap, right. To put yourself out <laughs> to the world, to show your face is like a big decision for some people. That's why I guess, you know, there, you know, we were talking earlier about, is this a professional career or not? I would I have to imagine the ones who have made it a professional career show their face because it's the only way you're going to build up a strong following. They show everything. They might show, you know, they're locked in a closet and crying because their children are driving them nuts that day. Like that feels relatable. And I see that that content gets, you know, tenfold the engagement from a normal post and really just kind of, you know, embodying that whole thing of if I were to ask my followers, do they know my dog's name? Do they know, you know, all of these things? Because on the flip side, when my creator comes to me and says, I want a partnership with a pet food company, first thing I say is you have a dog? Like, if I don't know you have a dog, you're not going to get a pet food partnership. So think about that. If there's certain categories you want to be working in, make sure you're showing that in, you know, a cert in your feed that I can see that in three seconds scroll. And additionally, you know, it's very helpful to work with a management firm where you're going to get insight on all of the partnerships. So many other creators are working on making sure you're getting fair rates and that everything is staying professional. All right. And for our final rapid fire question off the top of your head, who are some of the innovative creators that our audience should check out? I've got a few from the Illuminate Social roster. And first and foremost, you know, we love Dylan Mulvaney. She is the top trans TikToker. And she um, branded these 100 days of girlhood and really walked through what it was like with her transition and this journey and inspiring so many people to feel a lot more confident in their own journey. So love her. I think she just has such a great story that she's sharing. Additionally, we love this couple and family, the Lashleys. They are a family of neurodivergent people. And you know that's ADHD, that's autism, and just sharing what that looks like to function as a couple and a family and how they go through this and really destigmatizing a lot of those things. And then I think lastly, um, we represent Dr. J. Max Slaughter. And you can't imagine a Dr. Slaughter. I know that's a crazy name, but he's an ER doctor and amazing educational videos, but also just fun videos too that keep people kind of on their toes. I think though his greatest impact is just raising awareness on mental health for frontline workers and for healthcare workers. And we just, we love and appreciate him. I think that any of those three creators, it's funny, they're all, their biggest following is on TikTok, but I would say most of the partnerships we're seeing on, you know, Instagram and TikTok as an additional value channel. So yeah, video is king. All three categories, people I just said are all video content creators. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Becca. You survived the very first lightning round here on the Partnership Economy podcast. That was awesome. So there's, there's a lot of great tidbits in there in just a couple of minutes. I appreciate that. All right. As we come to a close, I'd love to chat about a topic that I know that you're passionate about and that everyone I think could benefit from uh, learning uh, about is uh, female leadership. Right. So I have a two part question for you. How would you describe your leadership style? And then secondly, what advice do you have for both other leaders, as well as other people aspiring to be leaders, and especially women? I love that question. I love this topic. It's my favorite thing. And I would say, you know, my leadership style is definitely first and foremost empathetic. And I think that empathy gets really lost in not only the leadership space, but specifically the entertainment space. And, you know, we're working with humans who are new to this industry, who are just starting out in their careers, or those who, you know, are also very seasoned professionals. And how do you make sure that when we're working, we're working with professionalism and like being respectful on behalf of our talent, but also using that, the empathy and the heart and all of those things that matter that really round out a human. And you know, I think the the common example I think of not only with my team, but how the managers represent their talent is, you know, when we've got a working mother, this is their full-time job and 
They've got so many things that they're doing and, you know, they might be late on some content. How do we describe that to the brand and say, you know, be a human here. There's a lot going on. She might be a little late on this deadline, but it's going to be knockout content, you know, versus yelling at our talent and being like, no, get your stuff in on time. That's just, there's no way to work. And, you know, from firsthand experience then with internal teams, I've seen just a, a, a lack of that and thinking, you know, whether it's raising your voice to a level that's just inappropriate, literally throwing things at people. It's the entertainment industry is just, it's wild. And I think so, so many positive things have happened in the past few years in order to make teams more diverse in order to make teams, you know, really up, you know, raise up women, but there's still more work that needs to be done when it comes to leaders and making sure that we are creating an environment where people really can thrive because it's not going to be the same for every single employee. And everyone's going to come in with their own perspective, their own backgrounds. And how do you make sure that you've created an environment where each person can succeed? That's something I constantly ask myself and I'm constantly learning at. And if you're not learning, you know, you're not evolving and that's just, you know, you can't stick with the status quo and that's exactly how Illuminate Social was born. Our symbol is a lightning bolt, which means the destruction of ignorance. And that's really why we created Illuminate. It was to, you know, go against the grain, stop doing the status quo and really know that this is the way to do things. And, you know, there's also different perspectives. I constantly am learning from my team. Let's do this this way. Or have we thought about this? And that's the only way that we're going to be successful. Really, really powerful. And I appreciate you sharing that. It actually reminds me of this book, Lean In, written by Sheryl Sandberg. I had a chance to meet her and work with her at a prior company that we did a lot of business with Facebook. And uh, just incredibly inspiring. I actually got autographed copies for my two daughters. They're 22 and 21 now. They've read it. We've referenced it a number of times about just what it's like, you know, being a woman in today's modern workplace. And like Sheryl Sandberg, she was telling me that she was giving a talk at Facebook. And then she said, okay, that's it. No more questions. And there was these two guys in the back going, ooh, 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 ooh. And she called on them and, um, and she answered their question. And then this woman comes up to her afterwards and she says something like, well, you, you know, you said no more questions. So I didn't raise my hand. And, and what she's like, oh my gosh, I wrote this book, lean in. And here I am as a leader of a company, you know, not doing some of the things that, that I articulated. And what she realizes that, you know, men, by their disposition, are they tend to be more aggressive. They just are. They're just wired that way. And so they're the ones going, ooh, 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 ooh. A woman, generally speaking, she was saying, is a little bit more passive. You say, okay, no more questions. They're thinking, okay, no more questions. We're done here, right? And it's just like, as a leader, it's like, you have to be aware of those things, I guess, that people are different. They, they react differently to things. I've seen that firsthand. So my team is all women now, but in previous positions, I've managed men. And seeing the difference between, you know, when we do quarterly reviews, my male employees asking for a raise every single quarter and my employees, my, when I've said, you know, we only do raises once a year, still asking that every quarter and my women not asking because they know we'll do it at the end of the year. And it's funny because I think like, Oh gosh, should we be paying him more? Like, and then I'm like, wait, 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 we have a process for a reason. And you know, how do I make this an environment so that people have that opportunity? And specifically at illuminate when I'm interviewing, candidates, I'm always saying, you know, somebody who thrives here is somebody who's going to speak up and ask for what they want. You know, I got where I am because I built that path. And I think that's really hard for women to say, you know, I deserve this role. I deserve this promotion because I'm going to do a great job. And, you know, I think a lot of people want to wait for that promotion. They want to wait to be asked okay, this is the time you're giving me a promotion as my leader. And I'm like, no, flip the script. I want you guys to come to me. I'm going to put that actually on you guys to really, and I shouldn't say you guys, I'm going to put that on you women, you ladies, and you know, really have you come to me and say why you deserve something. Because I don't think there's enough opportunity for women to just organically do that. So that's really what we try to do at Illuminate. And I know it's uncomfortable and hard for people. And I know some people hate it, but I'm going to push them outside of that comfort zone because they're so good at asking for what their talent deserve. And it's so hard sometimes to ask for what you deserve as a, you know, an individual. 
And this is all also all part of what it means to be inclusive, I think, as a, as a culture. And it, and it expands beyond, you know, just the things that we're talking about. It's, it's as simple as how do you deal with like remote workers now? A lot of companies have hired a lot of remote workers. And it's kind of like, how do you include them and make them feel, you know, you know, equal at the same level as employees that are coming into the office three days a week now, like, you know, and not feel like they're at a disadvantage with the professional career path within the company just because they're, you know, remotely located like a lot of us are now. Right. It's, it's definitely a challenge. It's a challenge I have to go through every day. You know, we have our team is fully remote. The majority are in L.A., so we get to have moments where we get together. But I try to make those moments really you know, we want to have team-wide bonding events. So what can we do where it feels like everyone gets to experience that and have those touch points? But again, it's it's a challenge. I definitely don't have the right answer there. And I think it's something we're all going through and trying to figure out. But I do think, yeah, having that level playing field, everyone's remote. Now, what are some opportunities we can have where people can feel like this conversation that's normally in office? So one thing I love that our SVP of Talent, Kara, has integrated are her office hours. So she literally sits on Google Hangouts for like an hour and a half once a week and people can pop in and ask her random questions. Something that, you know, we're doing a lot of our Gchat, but how can we get that face-to-face interaction and feel like, okay, I can just go vent to someone for a little bit or, you know, bounce a question off them. I was so proud of her for instituting that. And I just think it's great. That's a pro tip right there. I'm 100% adopting that. That is a great idea. I don't know why I thought about that. I love that. Thank you, Becca. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. It was so much fun. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Yes, thank you so much. The influencer landscape is always changing, and it's important to stay on top of the latest trends. With all the different social media platforms out there as a brand, it's crucial to understand which platform aligns most with your goals. And for creators, Becca recommends using Instagram due to its fast audience response time and creating video content to play to the algorithms. I also agree with Becca that the number one thing a creator can do is show their face and their life more. The more transparent, the better, in order to more deeply connect with your audience. We touched on a lot of tips and tricks in just a few minutes in this episode, and I thoroughly appreciated hearing Becca's thoughts on female leadership. I hope you enjoyed this episode and our new lightning round segment. Thank you, Becca, for joining us on the Partnership Economy, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to The Partnership Economy brought to you by Impact.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts.